Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statues. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those, who, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogolus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Tertius, by the way, Paul had issues with his sight. And so Tertius is the one taking dictation from Paul. So here you've got the, the, uh, di the, the stenographer, if you will, who's throwing his personal greetings in here as well, which is pretty fascinating. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Check this out. Erastus, the city treasurer, uh, Erastus was the city treasurer of the city of Corinth. They found a stone commemorating the construction of the uh, theater, the amphitheater in, in um, Ephesus with his name on it. So uh, that archaeologists have found this. So that's, that's pretty interesting there. Erastus, the city treasurer, that's how we know where Paul is when he's writing the letter is because he's talking about these people who were in Corinth at the time. Uh, Erastus was the Corinthian city treasurer. And our brother Quartus, I'm getting off track here. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a lot of greetings. 
That's a lot of greetings. And if you're just skimming through the, the book of Romans and you're not paying attention to what's going on, you're not paying attention to the fact that these people are delivering this letter. There's a pretty good company that went to go visit the, uh, the, the group of believers in Rome. And the, he did, Paul did not write this letter, fold it up, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and drop it in the U.S. mail. This was personally delivered. And when Paul is telling the Roman believers to greet these people, these are the people that are showing up with a letter from Paul. So he sent quite a company. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. I mean, there's, there's 28 names that are listed here. And then we have their brothers and sisters and the people traveling them with them and the people who are from the household of. So there's probably upwards of about 50 to 60 people who are delivering this letter to the believers in Rome. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? That's pretty wild. In his parting words, the Apostle Paul points us to a few blessings that have been afforded to us by the gospel. We have the blessing of fellowship. We have the blessing of clarity. And we have the blessing of worship. Let's talk about the blessing of fellowship. In verses 1 through 16, the letter to the Roman believers was delivered by a delegation of brothers and sisters in Christ from Corinth. And this is a pretty good-sized delegation as well. There, like I said, there are 28 names mentioned, and some of them traveled with their families, and some of the names that were mentioned were not actually there, but their household was there. So greet those who are of the household of. And so you probably have, a, I mean, maybe, maybe as few as 40, probably northward of 50 or 60 people are delivering this letter. Why would such a multitude of Christians journey to a city that is known for oppressing them? And remember, Rome is not a friendly place to be if you're a Christian here in the first century. This is not a good place to be. But yet, you have 60 Christians who are willing to go into the lion's den, and that is somewhat literal, to deliver this letter and this encouragement in the gospel from the Apostle Paul. Why would a multitude of Christians journey to a city that is known for oppressing them? First of all, they went to minister to the Christians that are there, to minister to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we talk about ministry, we are talking about serving, we are talking about encouraging, we are talking about mentoring, we are talking about teaching, we are talking about comforting. They are going there, remember last chapter, chapter 15, during Sunday school this morning, we talked about being focused not on ourselves and what brings us pleasure and what advances us and what makes us happy, but rather being focused on what each other need, what our brothers and sisters in Christ need, what people need, being focused on those things, being driven by those things. They see the need that these brothers and sisters in Christ have, and so they're going to go meet that need. Why would they do such a thing? Why would they be so moved? Because of the gospel. We have the example set by Jesus Christ himself, who saw our need, was moved in love toward us to come to this earth, to live the life that we lead. Jesus did not have a, a privileged existence on this earth. He was not born to a king and queen. He did not live in a life of luxury, in a life of wealth. He told one man that foxes have holes and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was on foot most of the time. 
He lived the life of a peasant. He lived the life of a common man. He knew what it was to have to go up and wake up in the morning and go to work and, and try to get it done to earn a living. He understood what bad customer service was like. He understood when you're trying to serve a customer and that customer cannot be pleased, what it was like to deal with such a situation. He understood financial constraints. He understood difficulty. He went through all of that, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, that he was tested and tried in every way that we are, yet he went through all of that without sin. Every problem you've got, in some form or fashion, Jesus Christ experienced that problem too. He understands how it feels. He empathizes, yet he did that without sin. And in the fullness of time, when the time was right, he went to the gospel where he took God's punishment for our sins upon himself. He died, he was buried, and then he rose again. He conquered death, and he rose to be at the right hand of the throne of God. And the Bible says in the book of Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So that outward focus, that focus on the needs of others should also motivate us. And it should motivate us because we should understand how we have been blessed in the gospel and how we can bless others in the gospel and how that gospel ties us together. Notice Paul's request to the Roman believers. He lists everybody here by name and he says to greet them, to greet each other with a holy kiss. That kind of sounds funny to a certain extent, but that's just the way you greeted people back then. You ever see the movies where Europeans will, you know, or, or, or people from other cultures will, you know, peck each other on the cheek when they meet? That's how they greeted each other back then. He's saying to greet each other with a holy kiss. Today he would tell us to shake hands. Hey, greet these gentlemen, give them the right hand of fellowship, and welcome them into your homes. He's saying to greet them. And notice Paul's respect toward the traveling company. He commends Phoebe, that means he recommends Phoebe. He's, Phoebe is a good person. Phoebe has taken care of us. She has been a patron to the church. She's been a patron to me. What that means is she has financially supported and materially and logistically supported the Apostle Paul and the churches. And he commends her for that. He recommends her for that. Notice how they served alongside each other in the ministry. He talks about how they served me, how they served with the churches. He even notes how some of their service predated his own salvation. Some of these were well-known by all the apostles, and they were, they were in Christ well before I was in Christ. Greet them, receive them. And he talks about their service in the gospel. What does he mean by their service in the gospel? These are people who assisted in the preaching, which means they also preached. Who assisted in the teaching, which means they also taught. Who assisted in the ministry, the mentoring, the serving, the helping and this is the group of people that Paul sent. He sent this all-star cast of Christians to Rome to minister to the believers who were being persecuted in Rome. He sent the letter of Romans, which recenters them on the gospel. But he sent to them the best people he could for their betterment. Wow. You ever watch one of those movies and like there's like 15 different A-list level movie stars in that movie? Like, man, this movie has Tom Cruise and Tom Selleck. This movie has, uh, I, I can't think of movie stars right now, although John and I were watching Jurassic Park, and we noticed that the chef to the actors in the movie Jurassic Park, and we were watching the credits, the name of the chef was Thomas Cruise. So you know how good of a movie it is when Tom Cruise is your cook? 
I mean, that's a good movie right there, right? I mean, it's an, have you ever watched a movie where like everybody who's in the movie is a star? Or maybe like a, a, sport, a sporting event where everybody who's on the team is a star. Think of the 1992 USA Olympic basketball team, the dream team, right? Anybody who's anybody's on. Right? That's who Paul has sent to Rome. He has sent the best people, and a bunch of them. We, it's rare that we have 28 people in this congregation here at LifePoint. He sent 28 people by name and their families to Rome. He sent the best people that he had. And why would he be motivated to do that? Because of the gospel. Because he had fellowship not only with the people that he sent to Rome, but he had fellowship with the people in Rome. Fellowship. You hear that word used a lot. And in Baptist language, it's code word for eating. We're going to have a fellowship. Whenever Baptists say there's going to be a fellowship, a chicken is going to die. All right? And it is going to be deep fried. But fellowship in the truest meaning of the word is being united in a common cause or sharing a common background. Our fellowship is in the gospel. That's our common background. And that's our common cause. We all have the background of having been cleansed and redeemed by Jesus Christ because he took the punishment for our sins upon himself when he went to that cross. We have that common background. You ever meet two veterans that, you ever see two veterans meet each other for the first time? They will talk. And they will talk about their service, where they served, how they served. I remember when Brother Kelso and I used to go knocking on doors. We knocked on one door, this one gentleman. He was a, he was a, yeah, he was a Marine. And he had this, all of this Marine stuff on the wall behind the front door. We could see it from the front porch. And Brother Kelso said, oh, you're from the, you, you, you're a Marine, huh? He goes, yes, sir. When did you serve? Oh, from, I don't remember the years he said. But we learned through, uh, through Brother Kelso's discussion with him that this particular man served in Korea. And Brother Kelso says, well, I was in the Navy, and the, and the retired Marine says, well, that's okay. Someone had to cart us around. <laughs> and they had this conversation about that Brother Kelso was in Vietnam. This particular gentleman was in Korea. Brother Kelso's service in Vietnam was on the USS Coral Sea. They, they launched several offensives against the North. This particular Marine service was at the Chosen Reservoir which means he didn't tell us a lot of stories because it was a very traumatic situation. And so, but they talked. And I'm, you know, taking Brother Jimmy into town for lunch after Sunday service. There would be somebody else there that had a hat on, and they would start talking about their services a little bit. I mean, just, just going on and on. And, and, and they, why do they do that? Why do veterans do that? Because they have that common background. There's a certain fellowship among them because they know what it is to put your life on the line for the country. We have a common background of being redeemed by the Lord through the gospel. And not only do we have that common background, but we have that common cause. And that common cause is to advance the gospel, to promote the gospel, to tell others the gospel, to publish and promote and preach the gospel to the world, to our community. And so we have this common background, we have this common cause, and because we have this common background, and because we have this common cause, we are moved to serve each other. We are moved to serve together. And that means that we are never alone. There is a hymn in the hymn book that says, well, maybe it's not in our hymn book. I'm starting to find that we're missing a few of them. But there is a hymn that says, no, never alone. 
No, never alone. In fact, A.J. Kirkland, who was responsible for putting Texas Baptist Institute on the map, when he passed away as a gift given to Brother Brooks, his successor as the president of that school, Brother Kirkland's personal Bible was given to Brother Brooks, and Brother Kirkland was a man who believed in taking notes in his Bible. And Brother Brooks said he opened up to the back page, and the lyrics to Never Alone were written in their entirety in the back of Brother Kirkland's Bible. He said that hymn must have meant a lot to him for him to do that. But we are never alone. Now the hymn tells us we're never alone because Christ is always with us. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. But we're never alone because we have our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we may not be in the same geographical location. We may not be in the same building. We may have never met. But we're never alone. We have each other. I didn't know it, but God made another version of me had him, uh, born him in 1938, and placed him in Barstow, California. Brother Sparks and I, the more we talked, the more we found out, we had a lot of similarities between the two of us. But as, but as similar as we were in the way that our ministries go, in the way that we both tried to sell life insurance at one point in our lives, we were both on the radio at one point in our lives, um, you know, and we both pastored really small churches, and found a lot of fulfillment and joy in that. The biggest common denominator Brother Sparks and I had was the gospel. Amen. In fact, we still have that common denominator, that common background of the gospel. Amen. It's just we're no longer geographically separated. We're separated because he is in the kingdom and I am not quite there yet. We're never alone. People you've never met, you've got fellowship with. Yes. We've never met the church in Barstow. We have fellowship with them. The blessing of the gospel is that fellowship. The blessing of the gospel is that you're never alone. The blessing of the gospel is that you share a common background and, more importantly, a common cause with millions of people around the world. Fellowship. Secondly, We have the blessing of clarity. Clarity. What's important here? Christianity can be the land of confusion sometimes. Sometimes people are preaching things. You're saying, what in the world is he saying? And what does this mean? And why is this important? You know, when I worked at Hungry Howie's Pizza and we'd talk about religion, that was one thing that always came up was how many different religions there are, how many different uh, Christian denominations there are. You know, and you have, you, have the, you have the Lutherans and the Episcopalians and the Methodists and the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Church of Christ. And, and the Baptists, there's like a bunch of different kinds of Baptists, too. So you have all the, and, and everybody claims that they've got it right. And there's all this confusion. Who's right? Who's wrong? And then you have the questions that your college professor asks you. Things like, can God make a rock that is so big that not even he can lift it? What about the gap theory? Was the world really created in six days, 6,000 years ago? Or is there symbolism in Genesis chapter 1? And then there is the ever-present question that was asked by Pilate himself, what is truth? It can be confusing. We can get off on these issues. The Apostle Paul says in verse 17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. 
avoid them. In light of the gospel, which is what the book of Romans is all about, Paul provides the clarity that we need. He shines the light through the darkness of conflict, through the darkness of division, through the darkness of confusion. He says to watch out for those who cause divisions. The man who always wants to criticize or bring charges against another. And sometimes criticism is warranted. And sometimes you need to confront somebody. But that's different from the person who always has a criticism and someone who always has an accusation to make. If there is constant conflict with someone everywhere they go, the problem might be them. If I have a conflict everywhere I go, everywhere I go there's a problem. Everywhere I go the people there were horrible. Then the problem might be me. It worries me when I hear people talk about other churches and how horrible other churches were. And it's a red flag for me. And this legitimizes that red flag. When someone comes to you and says, well, I went to so-and-so church, but they didn't treat me right. And I went to so-and-so church, but they were just horrible and they were spiritually dead. And so I went to so-and-so church and they were awful too, but I, I like your church. Yeah, ride that train. Because in six months they're going to be telling somebody else how horrible your church is. <laughs> The Bible tells us to mark them, to mark them, to watch them. The man who is so hung up on a particular doctrine that he draws lines in the sand and makes it a point of fellowship. The man who makes everything a point of fellowship. I told y'all the story about the pastor who wanted to have lunch with me because he wanted to make sure I was just like he was, right? Like every minor difference is a point of fellowship. And the verse that he used to substantiate his way of thinking was the verse, I believe it's in Amos, that says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Yet the context of that verse is about you, you, to walk with God, you have to be agreed with God. You have to trust God. You have to believe God. You have to submit to God. He's not talking about we have to agree on the gap theory in order to be able to walk together. Watch those who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. What is the doctrine that you have been taught? Book of Romans, the gospel. Salvation by grace through faith and hope in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those who create obstacles to this doctrine, who distract from this doctrine, who impede people's ability to believe, explore, learn, and understand this doctrine, the King James Version says it the best. Mark them. Mark them. Watch them. Keep an eye on them. Do not give them space to operate. The clarity that we receive in the gospel is that if it is a direct application from the gospel or is tied directly to the gospel, it is important. That's our clarity. Our clarity that is, if it is a gospel-centered doctrine, then it is a true doctrine and it is one worth standing up for. But if it is a doctrine that is not tied to the gospel, that is not a direct application from the gospel, that is not tied to the gospel in any way, then no, we don't need to pay attention to that. We don't need to draw a line in the sand over that. We don't need to argue about that. It is not important. Clarity. These people that Paul told us to mark, in verse 18, he says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the heart of the naive. By smooth talk and flattery. The gospel also gives us clarity on people's intentions. 
Those who drive these divisions and distract from the gospel are not serving Christ. They are serving their own intentions and interest. They are serving their own pride. And how do you know who they are? They're the people that are injecting controversy and drawing lines in the sand on minor points of doctrine. Every time. That's who they are. That's how you know who they are. Again, the blessing of the gospel is clarity. Because everything that we need according to the scriptures, everything that we need according to the Apostle Paul, everything we need according to God's word is in the gospel. It's tied to the gospel. It points to the gospel. It foreshadows the gospel. It explains the gospel. It is a doctrine that can be received from the gospel. The doctrine on marriage. What a marriage should look like. How a marriage should function is completely, Ephesians chapter 5, is completely wrapped up in the gospel. It's not about, I'm man, I'm bigger, I'm better, woman should submit. It's about the relationship between Christ and his church. And the marriage should reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. That Christ loved his church and gave himself for his church that he might redeem the church, so should a man give himself for his wife. And that as the church follows the Lord, trusts the Lord, and serves the Lord, a wife should follow her husband, trust her husband, and serve her husband. Of course, going back to the husband's responsibility of giving himself for the wife, he needs to be a husband that can be trusted, that can be followed. There's a gospel application there. Salvation by grace through faith is all wrapped up in the gospel. The nature of the church and the fellowship that we have with each other is wrapped up in the gospel. True doctrine is wrapped up in the gospel. In verses 19 through 20, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The clarity that the gospel blesses us with is that it gives us wisdom as to what is good and what is evil. Y'all remember that show, Mama's Family? I mean, it was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm going back 40 years to the 1980s here. You remember that show, Miss Rosemary? Mama's Family. There was an episode where Mama went to the casino because she needed to win a bunch of money for the church. By the way, as bad as our financial statements may be, you don't need to go to the, to the casino to win money for the church. Don't buy the lottery ticket to win money for the church. That's not the model that Christ gave us to to fund his ministry. But she meets this nice, handsome, godly-seeming man, suit and tie, Sunday school teacher-looking kind of guy, and he leads her through this process of going through the casino. As they're going into the casino, there's a biker dude who's hungry, starving, and needs money. I can't give you any money. You get off the street, you bum. And she goes in there, and it turns out the Sunday school-looking guy who led her into the casino turned out to be the devil, and the biker guy turned out to be an angel. And I'm watching this show as like a 10-year-old thinking, okay, who are the good guys? If I can't tell by looking. 
Like, th this confused me and bothered me a little bit. What do you look for in a godly person? What do you look for in a trustworthy person? What do you look for in what's good and what do you look for in what's bad? Because something can look good and be bad and something can look bad and be good. Oh, this is confusing. This is confusing. No, it's not. Because if you're looking at the outward appearance, which is what scripture tells us not to do, right. if you're looking at how it looks and how it's received, you're looking at the wrong things. You look at it in light of the gospel. Yeah. If mama had been trusting the gospel, she wouldn't have felt the need to gamble her savings away at the casino to try to find money for the church. She had trusted the Lord for provision. If mama had been gospel-centered, she'd have bought the biker dude a sandwich. I mean, the gospel brings that clarity to where we're not trying to figure out how does this look and is this good or bad. But the, Bible, the, the gospel brings us clarity as to what is good and what is evil. And then we find the blessing of worship. Maybe Mama's family wasn't a good story to tell on that, but anyway, y'all go with me here. Finally, the blessing of worship. Verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings that have been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus. Amen. Now to him, now to him, now to him, those words, now to him, everything we do should be for him. Our lives should be lived for him. What, the way we serve, should, we should serve for him. But now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations. The gospel, praise the Lord, is being preached everywhere. Places you would never go, places you can't even imagine. Um, Moldova has the gospel now. I mean, I'd praise the Lord for Malta receiving the gospel, and I should. The Apostle Paul took it to him 2,000 years ago. By shipwreck, but that's how it got there. South America, the jungles, the Amazon, the Congo, Africa, Countries in the Middle East which are actively exterminating Christians are having the gospel preached openly. And the church is, in the institutional sense, the church, Christianity, is growing the fastest in China, which is trying to stamp it out. The gospel is being preached everywhere. Praise the Lord. And the gospel being preached everywhere will bring about obedience and faith. It's what's going to bring about the conversions. It's going to bring about the soul harvest. This is how we will see revival by the preaching of the gospel everywhere. And then Paul wraps it up by saying, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. The only wise God, the only true God, not the foolish imaginary figure of foolish men, but the true God. The glorious God, the shining victorious God, the glory of God is fully demonstrated in the gospel. So you see, in the gospel we have the blessing of fellowship. In the gospel, we have the blessing of clarity. By looking at everything in light of the gospel, we can determine whether it's good or evil. Y'all remember me asking you, how do you tell between good two, two good things? Which one do you choose? I mean, you should be able to choose between a good thing and a bad thing, right? 
I should be able to choose between going home and spending time with my family versus going to Vegas and gambling away my family's future. Like that choice should be crystal clear. Going home and spending time with the family is the clear choice, right? But like I mentioned a couple of weeks back, the choice between pastoring church A and pastoring church B, two good things, right? Which one do I choose? The gospel brings clarity to that choice. And then the gospel gives us worship, gives us a reason to praise God that his, glo that his glory is being shown throughout the world because the gospel is being preached throughout the entire world. There's blessings here. There's blessings. They're all in chapter 16. And so when we look at all that, we take Romans the entire book of Romans all at once and we look back on everything that we have done over the past 10 weeks, we must look at ourselves and say, what is our motivation? What wakes me up in the morning on Sundays and gets me to church? And not only what gets me to church, but taking in chapter 15 into consideration as well, and in addition to the whole book, what gets me up on Sunday mornings and brings me into this church? Because every single one of you that are here drove past another church to get here. What brings you to this church? Those are our motivations we need to look at. And what I'm hoping is what brings you to this church is the fellowship in the gospel and the way that God is working through the gospel to not only transform you, but to help you learn to work toward others and to help others. Yes. What is your motivation? What brings you here? on Sunday mornings. And the motivation that brings you here to this specific church on Sunday mornings should be the same motivation that guides your activities throughout the rest of the week. Amen. Let us stand.